Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Are atheists finding God? Well, I'm excited to talk to you today on the Impact 360 Institute podcast with a colleague, uh, Dr. Jana Harmon. Uh, She is the host of the Side B Stories podcast, where former atheists and skeptics tell their stories of moving from disbelief to belief in God and Christianity. She is a teaching fellow for the C.S. Lewis Institute of Atlanta and a former adjunct professor of cultural apologetics at Biola University, where she received an M.A. in Christian apologetics. And Jana holds a Ph.D. in religion and theology from the University of Birmingham, England. Uh, researching atheist conversions to Christianity. And she's also serves as a board member of Women in Apologetics, which we're also a huge fan of here at Impact 360. But her book is Atheist Finding God, Unlikely Stories of Conversions to Christianity in the Contemporary West. So we're going to have a fascinating conversation today. But Jana, thank you for joining the Impact 360 podcast. Well, it's great to be with you today, Jonathan. Awesome. Well, I, I was so excited when I was got a copy of your book, and it's just so much uh, work and scholarship and stories and things that you have uh, put in there that are so helpful, and uh, and I'm excited to talk about that. But let's before we get there, I'd love to hear a little bit of your journey of becoming interested, and why did you kind of pursue study and kind of thinking about this topic? That's a great question. I think you and I both, and I'm sure your audience, all value apologetics and and giving the reason for the hope that lies within us. And we understand that the Christian worldview is really the best explanation for reality. And after studying apologetics and having such a kind of a robust confidence in our worldview, I I soon came to realize that somehow it wasn't as convincing to others as it was to me. And and oftentimes in the apologetic conversation, it's between the atheist or those who believe in naturalism and the theist, those who believe in God or Christianity. And it seemed like the discussions and the, the debates and the writings seemed to just go past each other, that somehow the the intellectual or the rational argument, although sometimes, of course, it's effective um, out of the gate, but sometimes it just seems to fall flat. It's like there seems to be this dismissal of Christianity out of hand, and they say there's no evidence for God. And and I was just scratching my head thinking, well, what would it take for an atheist to believe in God? Or And so I went on this investigative journey to see what it would take for someone who's resistant or seemingly shut down or closed off, who are dismissed, uh, dismissive of Christianity, what would it take for them to become open? And so I interviewed 50 former atheists. Uh, they, they completed a survey about all their perspectives, about who Christians are, Christianity is, um, God, who they, their perceptions of God, all as former atheists. Um, and trying to think back and from that perspective, but then they also, um, through storytelling and interviewing, and also the survey, gave me their perspectives on how they became open. What was it that kind of broke down those barriers? Um, how did they become not only Christians but passionate followers of Christ? And so it was a journey that lasted a, a few years. Uh, but it was a very rich journey, and I and, and I through that experience met the most incredible 
Christ followers who are so impassioned about the Lord. But at but really at the beginning, I just wanted to to know why or how or the ways and means that God uses to bring resistant people to Himself. No, I love that, and I and I love how both your heart and your mind um, shine through in that together. Because you're like, okay, why isn't this persuasive to them, or what what's going on? Because as you know, I mean, as we've studied this, we've thought about these things. There's really good reasons why we believe what we believe, and so I think it's fascinating to get into this. We're gonna and we're gonna talk about some of the stories, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, a couple of things that I wanted to talk about uh, with you and ask you about at the beginning here is. You know, one of the things that I think you found is that uh, a lot of people you talked to were highly educated. So why are such a high percentage of atheist intellectuals and why was this important to your study? And, you know, I know you, you could have kind of framed this up in lots of different ways, but kind of why did you also emphasize that aspect of it? Well, there are a few reasons, really. You know, of course, demographically, statistically, atheists are a more highly educated, more intellectual population. And when you talk with an atheist, they will more than likely give you a rational or intellectual reason for disbelief. And there's also a very strong perception uh, counter to that, that Christians are not educated people. There's a very strong sense that um, that Christians are superstitious, they are duped. Um, there were, There was a question on the survey do you of how they you know would characterize Christians or Christianity? And among those, they they like seventy two percent thought Christians were deluded people. They zero wow. percent, not one person checked the box that they thought Christians were educated people. Now that's that's pretty a strong indictment in terms of their pre-conversion perception of who they thought Christians were. So I thought to myself, I mean, it really is a good study to see if these intelligent people would really, if they looked at the truth of Christianity, that they themselves would see that it's intellectually robust. Uh, what I didn't want was um, really a group of people uh, that may have not thought about their faith very much in the journey, in the sense that they could be easily dismissed. I believe that if someone is intellectually sound or robust in a sense that they they take seriously the ideas behind their worldview that 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 would actually lend more credibility to their conversion to Christianity and um and so i i think in order to really honor the atheist as even in their own self perception as being rationally superior to religious people which is commonly the case that they could actually see in and of themselves. And, and again, it would may actually be another good reason for belief in Christianity if smart people believe in it. I mean, that in and of itself um, may not say much really to the real reason for belief in Christianity, but it speaks to uh, a skeptical world that can mm -hmm. look in and say, you know what? You know, we have all these negative stereotypes about who we believe Christians are, but look, you know, this PhD believes and this, you know, eminent science scientist believes and this philosopher believes it couldn't be all superstitious or, or, you know, not worthy of rational consideration. Yeah. And that is very helpful to kind of frame it that way and also investigate 
and kind of spell that out and honestly just point to some of maybe even the misperceptions that people have and assumptions about Christianity being maybe anti-intellectual or somehow atheism is the rational starting point and different uh, presuppositions that sometimes people have. But the question I really want to dive into first is why do atheists resist belief in God? Like what did your kind of research and investigation kind of show in response to that question? Yes. Um, I, at the outset, I will say those whom I I interviewed, I like I say, I interviewed 50 former atheists, but they were from Western countries all around the world, anywhere from Australia to France to New Zealand to Canada, um, of course, the U.S. and the U.K. And many of those cultures are secularized. Um, the U.S., of course, is more Christian, um, you know, of course that's waning, <laughs> but, but so many of the people that I interviewed had very limited exposures or experiences with Christianity itself. Um, so I want to say that from the outset, this was not a group of people who had a strong sense of Christianity or understanding or knowledge of Christianity prior, like they weren't, it wasn't, a. a a large group of deconverts who who had a an understanding of what they were rejecting. A lot of them really had no or very little understanding of what they were rejecting. There were a handful who um, ten out of fifty who called themselves Christian. Pardon me, five out of out of fifty. It was ten percent. Uh, some had about a quarter of them had some kind of a nominal consistent experience, so they had that. But for the most part. Um, there were, there were a lot of people who grew up in a world that was non-religious, irreligious. And so, as you can imagine, you know, it's often the case people say, oh, you, you, you're just a Christian because you grew up in the U S well, there are a lot of people who are, if you could say it this way, are atheists because they just grew up in a culture that was very non-religious. And so they mm -hmm. grew up in a, in a water waters, um, cultural waters that, that that didn't speak to to Christianity or or um, what that really was that their messaging came from television and film and if you understand you know what we perceive from from the media it's often not kind it's very stereotyping and oftentimes even last night my husband and I started watching a series and of course the first person that they brought on was someone who was very religious but ended up being kind of the evil person it's not mm -hmm. an uncommon trope in the media to be to portray Christians and Christianity in a negative light and so oftentimes people grow up not knowing much not experiencing uh, Christianity firsthand or an authentic form of Christianity and so they just grow up in, in, without a need for it. It's not relevant. It's not in their life. So it's not a rejection so much as just an absorption of culture. So there are there are a lot of people, and that, unfortunately, that's the case today. Even in uh, in our culture, there are a lot of people growing up um, with negative ideas about Christianity. Not only that it's not true, but it's not good. You know, it, it's kind of bad. It's like those people portrayed on film and media. Plus, um, there are a lot of people that are pushing back because they have this perception of, um, again, because of this, what's going on socially in our world, that Christians are perceived as not loving, they're intolerant, 
Um, they they don't you know seem to go with the flow. They're not progressive. They're antiquated. They're they're superstitious. They're um, not along for the ride of you know they're they're not on the not on the right side of history. Let's say not yeah. on the right side of culture. Um, so there's that. There's also those who grew up with negative experiences um, with religion. And, you know, maybe it was a very highly legalistic form of Christianity, you know, that, that didn't understand grace or, or you know, that was almost uh, punitive in the way that they viewed uh, sin or the Bible or, you know, all these really negative and constrictive and restrictive views of Christianity. And, and they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Sometimes people have just difficult experiences in life. And they think, well, where's God? You know, that's a common question. That's something that even Christians can struggle with from time to time. It's like, okay, things are so hard and so difficult. Where is God? There couldn't be a God. If he is, if he does exist, you know, he's not good. There there was a, when I asked all the different, you know, on the survey, I, I asked them, there are different reasons for different disbelief. And, you know, some of it was intellectual, some of it was experiential. Um, but but the most prominent response, and I think this is very telling, is the most prominent response was there was no personal sense that God existed. There was no, you know, it was a very subjective response. And so they didn't feel or see God in their world when they looked at their own lives or they looked at the lives around them. So, uh, and then of course, uh, there are genuine doubts and um, a lot of people are raised to think of, you know, I just interviewed Pat Flynn on, uh, on the podcast and he said, you know, I believe the science rocks argument, you know, here's science as a science wins, you know, um, mm. you don't need God, you don't need religion. And that's just one intellectual pushback. But but there's, there's this sense in which there's this real in irreconcilable ability between, you know, if you're, if you're smart, if you're scientific, if you think rationally, you know, you don't need God, God doesn't exist. That's for those, again, who are uneducated, who just need something to get along. So there's a real variety mm -hmm. of, of reasons why someone might dismiss belief in God. That's, that's really helpful. I was wondering, you know, in your research, as you've come across it, or even how you did uh, this survey, did you find that people tend to become atheists younger in life, older in life? Uh, is there a definitive moment? So I was curious what your research kind of indicated in that regard. Yes, there there were some who actually became atheists very young. In fact, they that's all they knew. Um, you know, in terms of maybe that's the household they grew up in. Some became like I remember the first person I sat down with, his his survey said he'd become an atheist at age seven. And so I knew wow. that was probably on the back of a traumatic event, which it was. His house burned down and he lost two of his brothers. And he couldn't believe in a God after that. But for the most part, um, when I looked at, at the ages, the average age of declared identification as an atheist was 15. So wow. that really speaks to, you know, and of course, with access to internet and ideas and and um, just social pressures and trying to come of age and figure out, do I believe as my parents believe, do I not? I think, you know, 
it seems to me, and you're probably a better expert on this, practically speaking, but it seems to me, you know, we have this idea that they go off to college and lose their faith because they're not grounded, but it seems that that intellectual processing for them and even, you know, moral processing, they're wanting to experience things and there's so much pressure there um, that that people are losing their faith, uh, at least in my research of those 50 was the age of 15. Wow. No, that's that's really helpful. And I think that's important for us as parents and adults and leaders to to appreciate how important it is for us to equip and engage students younger and younger. I know for us here at Impact 360, during our summer experiences for high school students like Propel and Immersion, um, we take that very seriously to engage and we create places where they can ask anything they want and we're going to engage it honestly and biblically. And then we're going to engage people who believe differently and go, okay, what do you think? Like not mom or dad or grandma, or grandpa or youth pastor, but what do you think? And why do you think that way? And I think that's vital because um, students are, I mean, so far more capable than, than I think many people give them credit for, but they're thinking about these topics and they're making trajectory altering decisions at younger and younger ages, especially with access to social media and technology and all the things. So I think that's a really insightful point that you discover in your research. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I'm just so glad that you have a forum where 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 those students can really investigate all kinds of worldviews in a very honest and safe environment. Well thanks. Yeah, I know it's so important. It's so important. Well what what then like if if those are kind of kind of the barriers or maybe why atheists resist belief in God. Um, what are some reasons why atheists become open uh, to consider the possibility of God? What did your research show? And as you explored that question, you know, for me, that was, that was the million dollar question because as part of the research, I asked them, did they ever think that they would have been open to Christianity or any other point of view besides atheism? And 67% said no that they never saw themselves as moving from an atheistic position or life or identity. And, but yet there they were sitting in front of me as a, as a passionate follower of Christ. And I think, well, (laughs) okay, what is your story? What happened? What was it? What was it that allowed you to move from this place of resistance to a place of openness and consideration, at least towards another point of view, just because someone becomes open doesn't mean that they're immediately drawn towards Christianity a lot of oftentimes because of the cultural baggage, you know, sometimes the mantra is anything but Christianity. You know, they're willing to look at um, something else other than atheism, uh, but they're but they're not first going towards Christianity. But for the most part, um, a lot of a lot of times, if someone is settled and resistant, um, it it it's uh, really hard, especially for say, for example, for an intellectual argument to make a difference to someone like that, you know, they would brush it off. But my big question was, well, what uh, would allow someone to become open to the, for the will to be willing to even consider it? And there, I found different reasons. There had to be some kind of disruption in their life that unsettles, that allows them to reconsider or even more look more closely at their own perspective. A lot of times they they know what they're against. They know that they what they don't believe, but they don't know really what they do believe. And 
one of the things that made some turn towards openness was this, once they've lived with their own worldview long enough, they become a little bit disillusioned with it. It becomes a little bit dissatisfying. Now, this is for someone, say, who is honest enough with themselves to understand, say, the implications or the emptiness of their own worldview. So some of them became disillusioned with their own worldview over time. And that's important that they, you know, sometimes I think we as Christians want to jump in and, you know, cause them to, you know, help them along their journey when they're not ready. But sometimes people really have to live and sit in their worldview for a period of time. Over 50% said they really weren't even satisfied, but with their own worldview as an atheist, but they, they were settled in it because they didn't think there were others. But sometimes mm. they become disillusioned either intellectually, like, okay, naturalism, a godless worldview is really not answering these questions. Like, for example, morality. There were some very moral atheists um, in my study who couldn't ground intuitively what they knew was there were certain right and wrong. They just couldn't grounded. They couldn't make sense of it. They knew there had to be something more than just your opinion or my opinion, your preference or my preference. Um, there was, there was one guy who said, you know, I, I, I became dissettled with the fact that, or unsettled with the fact that, you know, I'm looking at my own worldview and it tells me that I am actually not thinking that I am not acting, that I have no, no, um, you know, freedom to choose, even if I did know what was right or wrong, that there's no real free act towards virtue or vice, you know? And he said uh, that intuitively was unsettling. I, I knew it had to be different than that or, or to make truth statements day in and day out. And then to declare that there really is no objective truth. Things just are. And I, you know, and so there were those who, those thoughtful individuals who said, you know, this isn't, I've, there's got to be a better explanation, origin of the universe, fine tuning of the universe, you know, the list goes on depending on the person, but they just became open to, to search for something, or they may become, they may have become disillusioned or dissatisfied personally. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot in culture today, right? Um, just a real unsettledness, loss of meaning, purpose, value, you know, mm -hmm. this sense of, um, you know, it, for me, the irony is this, you know, they, people are given this self-creativity, but it's um, it, when they become their own God, but there's a real unsettledness to that. There's a lack of foundation. There's a lack of safety and security. It feels free, but then you're so lost. Um, and those in the atheistic worldview, if they looked the worldview again, kind of in the face, it says there's no objective meaning that the that their lives really don't mean anything. That it's really going nowhere. Um, that they have no real value, and it, that's hard, that's a really hard way to live. But if someone is intellectually honest and really able to see that about their own worldview, they become open. That's that's one reason that people become open. Um, Sometimes there's a crisis that comes from the outside, right? That there's a, mm -hmm. an experience that happens to them and then their worldview isn't adequate to explain what's going on or help them cope. 
And so they, there's a crisis can help open someone. Sometimes um, they also meet a Christian <laughs> and it's very disarming because oftentimes, again, like we talked about before, there's this very negative hue about who they think Christians are. And there's such a social separation between uh, uh, unbelievers and believers because you know, we see that in the political world or it's a, we live in a, such an us, them society so that there's a real caricaturing and stereotyping, a negative hewing over the other without active and real engagement. But um, once they meet a Christian, then they usually go in one of two directions. Either they're disarmed by them, like, wow, um, hmm, you Christian are, are more normal, more intelligent, nicer, more, um, you know, more compassionate than I thought you were. And maybe Christianity isn't as bad as I thought it was in my life, you know, is kind of empty and your life looks pretty full, you know, so there's that or a Christian, they can be challenged by a Christian, say someone in their life becomes a Christian and they're like, what are you thinking? I, you know, and they go on a, a journey to disprove or, um, or even a, say an intellectual Christian will, challenge them on a certain point in there and they go on a journey to disprove. And then what they end up finding was much different than they thought. They didn't understand that there was a fullness and a richness and a robustness to the Christian worldview that, that they didn't know existed. So sometimes it's out of a, a an attempt to disprove. And the last thing I would say in terms of a disruptor is actually a divine experience. And I think that's probably one of the most surprising things I found in my study. I just didn't anticipate, um, of course, why not, you know, if God exists <laughs> and he interacts yeah. with his world and he wants people to come to Christ, um, sometimes people actually uh, would experience a dream, a vision, a providential experience. Um, some of those are on the back of a calling out to, you know, God, are you real? Other times it was just like this coming out of nowhere um, kind of experience where, uh, like I say, a dream or, or, you know, an oddity, like getting up in the middle of the night, turning on the television, seeing, seeing a Billy Graham crusade, and then, you know, putting down their drug paraphernalia and giving their life to Christ. I mean, just some amazing experiences. Mm. So I had some kind of divine experience or spiritual experience opened about 16%, um, to actually take a closer look to say, okay, what is this? Well, who is, does God really exist? So yeah, just a variety of things that mm -hmm. will open different people towards pursuit or questing after God. Yeah, yeah no, I, I love that. And I love how you highlighted really, you know, there's various kinds of disruptors um, that sometimes are the kind of the prompting or the kind of catalyst for that, for that journey, you know, in, in your book, um, you make a distinction which maybe just briefly kind of unpack for us why it's an important distinction to make about becoming open to belief versus believing in God. You talk about that as different sides of the same coin, but talk about the difference in those things and kind of the importance of separating those two, perhaps. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I'm so glad you asked that question because I think if you look at the academic literature or even, or even, <laughs> Uh, you know, I post these conversion stories on on social media websites. And even though, say, for example, someone meets a Christian or, you know, becomes interested in dating a Christian and they become open 
to the possibility of God, but they go on a very strong intellectual journeying to figure out what this is and is it true. They ended up converting for very strong uh, substantive reasons, not just because they met a girl, right? But oftentimes conversion is characterized, and I would say mischaracterized as, you know, some kind of, oh, they just want to belong to a church or they just, you know, met a girl and it's really not much more than that. And so openness, the door opener, um, whatever that catalyst is, it's usually the door opener towards a further quest. So just because someone becomes open and say they become open for what I call functional reasons, that is maybe social reason or or psychological reason, they're looking for something more in their life, but it really isn't um, necessarily grounded in truth per se, although that's a, anyway, um, these, because they find something good or attractive about the possibility of belief, that doesn't mean that their conversion down the line is just because they wanted something good in their life. Um, These people, as we, as you mentioned at the beginning, these are intellectual, smart, um, critical thinkers, generally speaking, and they want to know that what they believe is true, not just good, or not just because they want it. So openness towards a belief doesn't necessarily mean that's the reason for their conversion, nor does it mean um, that's the fullness of of their conversion or or you know just because someone becomes open doesn't necessarily mean they even take the journey towards belief or conversion. Um, so it it. it it's it's the begin it's the door opener the catalyst is the mm-hmm. door opener but it's not the fullness spiritually intellectually you know how God reaches down and actually brings someone to belief um, necessarily. Yeah, and that's so helpful because I think that distinction really highlights one of the beautiful aspects of the Christian worldview because in Christianity you have the ultimate realization of both the good and the true. You get yes. reason and relationship. You get yes. the rational and you get, because I mean, there's a lot of people who, okay, well, maybe there's no meaning in life. So they go on an existentialist search for meaning, but if they're creating their own meaning, they're going to run out of that. They're, they're going to run to the end of that. They're going, well, I'm creating this, so it can't be beyond me. Whereas in Christianity and what scriptures teaches is no, there's eternity is set in the heart of, of humankind, right? Of Ecclesiastes 3.11. And so not only do you have a longing, but you have a match with the worldview and moral grounding and objective meaning and all these other things that in many ways, and I think your book does a great job to begin to point at a lot of these things, is that a lot of times our atheist friends haven't considered before because of maybe a misperception about assuming that Christianity is irrational and only their only reason people would ever consider it is for only personal reasons rather than kind of a holistic pursuit of no, it's rational and relational. You get it, you get impersonal, you get all of it thrown in, which is why it, it's so compelling at the end of the day. Yes, I love that you're highlighting that. I I agree that it is there is just such a fullness to to the Christian worldview and to our belief as Christians that it's satisfying in every area. And that's what these these former atheists found, that it's not only intellectually satisfying, it is completely life-satisfying as well. Well, well, I know we've been having people hang on long enough, but I want to get to some of the stories because that's really the heart of what you get to share 
um, and, and talk about, but maybe share a few of these of your favorite stories um, and why they maybe impacted you in terms of people converting from atheism to become followers of Jesus. Yes, I would, I would love to. I'll give some different kinds of stories. So, you know, again, people reject God for different reasons. I, I mentioned earlier that uh, a young boy had become an atheist at age seven because his um, because his his house had burned down. He'd lost two of his brothers. So you can imagine the emotional pain of someone like that and why they rejected God out of pain. Um, and so... Over the years, he developed a lot of rational intellectual arguments to, you know, as his armor that uh, over that pain to convince everybody that God didn't exist. So he didn't believe it. He didn't want anybody else to believe it either. He, in fact, he, he had so much anger and hatred towards all things religious. He wouldn't even go in a church for a wedding and a funeral at great distress to his family. Um, and he also suffered a lot internally just with depression, anxiety, even suicidal ideation. Eventually, he married a woman and she, well, he was away on a business trip. He was around 26 at this time. He, um, she became a Christian. He came home. You can imagine that that was not a good scenario. It made him even more angry. So, you know, listening to that story, you just think, Oh my goodness, what is going to take for someone like that, so steeped in pain and anger, um, to be softened towards the gospel, towards Jesus? And um, one night he had to go pick her up from the couple who had led her to Christ at, to her to their home. And he was he walked in the in their home and he was expecting this kind of verbal barrage, um, fight, um, anger coming both ways, you know, because that's how he felt. That's what he wanted to do. And he instead was met with a warmth, uh, a genuineness, uh, a sit down for a cup of coffee. And, and it just completely disarmed him. Um, of course he didn't quite know what to make of it, but he had become such a, I guess you could say a hardened individual. He was difficult relationally to find someone who actually valued him, he he said they actually treated me like I was a human. Wow. And so that speaks a lot to how he might have been treated or even, you know, the relationships in his life. But to have someone value him, of course, as Christians, we value everyone. He's made in the image of God. There is no more mere mortal. And so he sat down and and the warmth of that was so attractive to him. He said, I just kept going back every night. And he said, they didn't bring up God. Uh, for weeks, he said, they allowed me to, on my own time, bring it up when I was ready. And I started asking the questions and they had answers. And then eventually, again, over time, when he had exhausted all of his, you know, problems against God and questions about God, um, the, the gentleman said, well, what else are you holding against God? Um, and he said, really nothing. And so he said, can I pray over you? And, um, he said, yes. And so he prayed over him and he said, I had peace in that moment that I had never known. And he said, I woke up the next morning expecting totally for that peace to have been gone and for my anger to have returned. He said, but it, it didn't happen. I had that peace remained. And he ended up becoming a, a community pastor in his little town in England. 
um, so that he could kind of go around binding emotional and physical wounds of people, you know, who were in his community, physical, not physical, but uh, spiritual wounds and emotional mm-hmm. wounds and, and show them Christ. And he's still a pastor to this day, which, you know, he's not the first person I would say in my study that when there's an emotional component to the anger and to the atheism, um, that it, when it's met with a love and compassion of a God, you know, they didn't know existed or think existed there, you know, it takes a while for them to be able to process that. But if someone or a group of people are engaged in a, in a, in a very intentional, loving way, that softness can come, healing can come, openness can come. And so I would encourage your listeners that, you know, um, that that's a possibility for someone if they know someone is really distanced from God for more mm-hmm. emotional reasons. No, that's uh, that's a beautiful that's a beautiful story, and um, just a way that that Christians were able to be a vehicle of God's healing and drawing that person themselves that's amazing what what are what yeah. are other kind of stories that you've encountered yeah. i mean i love it's uh, you know, yes. sometimes sometimes we hear only the bad news but, but god's on the move and these are exciting things that are happening people are coming to christ so tell us tell yeah us more. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i i have loads of them believe me um for a very 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 heady guy there was a there's a guy in my study um i called him jeremy and um because anyway I can't say his name uh, because of anonymity, but anyway, uh, he's just super, super intelligent. You know, we know atheists who, who a lot of people think they're just too intelligent for, for God or for belief. He was one of those guys. Um, he, by the time he said he was captain of his debate club, you know, he spent his, his time growing up uh, in the library, reading philosophy. He, by the time he was 14, he was a staunch atheist and existentialist. He had read all the French, you know, existentialists and Nietzsche and um, all of those guys and totally believed it. But he was, he was also, interestingly, he was also honest enough with himself to understand where those beliefs led. So he understood, well, nothing matters, um, that he doesn't matter. Uh, So he, he actually... Uh, became depressed also and anxious and a little bit suicidal, but he, 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 he had a group of friends. They were all atheists and they loved to, he said they would go out um, on a, on a Friday or Saturday night and there would be like a street preacher or whatever. They would just look to tear down. I mean, it was just a very anti-theist perspective. I guess you could say another really strong non-believer. Um, and he didn't think or had never met any Christians who he said could go toe to toe with him. And so um, he was at a writing club or something where he was learning about writing and um, and he was interested in this girl. I guess she was a Christian. I don't think he knew that. But then one evening after a meeting, uh, he met her father. Her father ended up being a Ph.D., philosopher who had actually gone uh, through the doctoral program in Germany alongside William Lane Craig. So he knew his staff and um, he, he said this was the first person he had ever met who could speak philosophy in a very intelligent and um, respectable way. In fact, he had great respect for this man. And so he said, can we start a small group kind of uh, with regard to talking about philosophical ideas? And he said, sure. And so they got together and 
and they they started discussing philosophy in just very very deep ways and he said it was during that time that i began to really see the bankruptcy of my worldview but it was because he met and was willing to engage with an intelligent christian um then he he saw the bankruptcy of his own worldview he said okay one summer, he, he, he decided, I'm just going to go disprove all, all world religions. So he went on this journey, and he said, at some point during that journey, he said, I turned towards the, the real desire to know what was true. And that's when it, he went through about 18 months of, again, deep um, deep journeying through apologetics. It started... <laughs> It started in a in a cigar shop where his mom went to go get a cigar for her husband for his birthday, and there just so happened to be the case for Christ um, on the the shelf there on the wow. counter, and and he picked it up. She picked it up, and and he the shop owner said, "Yeah, you can take it and read it." And so she brought it home. That introduced him to Christian apologetics, and he saw he he saw it. Lee Strobel had done and who he had interviewed. Then he started interviewing the, uh, you know, pursuing those guys, you know, Alvin Plantica and William Lane Craig and, and the list goes on till he became intellectually convinced that the Christian worldview was the correct view of the world. But as we know, religious conversion is more than intellectual. And so he, he decided, okay, I'm going to step into this and, and, and to see if 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 I can get to know or experience the real God behind this intellectual God that he had come to know. Um, and so he went to church and he, I guess, I don't know if he prayed. I don't think he used the word prayer there, but, um, but he opened himself somehow to the person and the presence of God. And he had an extraordinary spiritual experience. I write about it in the book. I won't describe it here, but he encountered the real. And so after that experience, he knew for certain that God existed. And then he, he, um, you know, he was able again to combine the experiential with the intellectual and, and he became an apologist and worked for that church for a while. Uh, but, but that was a much more, of course, intellectual journeying towards Christ. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love how he set out one summer just to disprove everything. You know, I'm just going to, yeah, yeah, I'm just just going to do that. that. Let me tackle (laughs) that. I know people have been thinking about this stuff for thousands of years, but let me just, I'm going to take a summer and and do that. And so, no, I love, but I love that he encountered people who had taken the time to love God with all their minds and actually know why they believe what they believe and do excellent work in those areas to actually, and that, and that's what the Holy Spirit was able to use. And how beautiful is that? And so, so both for deeply existential reasons and just personal reasons, but also rational reasons and and all of that. And so that's why I love, um, you know, it's so important that we don't, um, I think sometimes we're tempted as, as Christians to only emphasize one aspect of this kind of multifaceted diamond of Christianity, but it, it shines brightly no matter what the question. Um, and sometimes people need a different side of the, of the diamond uh, to see more clearly. And, um, I, and I think that. the Holy Spirit does that. And so, so yeah. I, and again, I want to encourage people to get a copy of Jana Harmon's book, Atheist Finding God. There's other stories in there. I also want to talk about 
uh, briefly here, you're, you've got a pod, a podcast in which you do interviews, right? It's uh, it's called Side B Stories, where you kind of invite people to tell their stories. Tell tell us a little more about that and how how really listening to that can help Christians better understand their non-believing family and friends. Uh, yeah, I I just it's such a privilege to bring these stories forward because again in this in this culture where it's anti-Christian in a sense, you know, that it's pushing back against Christianity in so many ways. These intelligent, winsome believers are coming and saying, no, you know, this is where truth, this is where life is. Jesus really is the way to the fullness of life and fullness of truth. And so um, this podcast is where former skeptics, skeptics and atheists come on and, and we talk about their journey from disbelief to belief in God and Christianity, and they're all different. You know, some are, again, very experiential, some are more heady, philosophical, uh, but they're all different. So that the Christian, I think, looking in can see and understand those who push back, the skeptics, what they, you know, why they push back, what is what are their reasons, and and to see how they become open and convinced and and come to, to find Jesus as the all in all. I love that. But also, and I think this is also just as important at the end, after they tell their stories, they give advice to Christians on how they can best engage with skeptics. And they give advice to skeptics on how they can take a step forward. I try very hard for this podcast to be really focused on their perspectives, their voice, their journey. And so that um, I, it, it's, it's my hope that both skeptics and Christians alike can listen and benefit. I mean, I've heard from both. I've had people who actually were agnostic about their own worldview or, or atheistic and find um, that they can relate to some of the journeys and actually find themselves coming to faith um, because they can they can see how, again, intellectual or good or normal people who are looking for meaning or purpose or value, that all of those things can be found in the person of Christ. And so that it's accessible, I I try very hard for it not to be off-putting so that it invites the skeptic in in a way that, that feels comfortable for them, but also invites the Christian in to, again, just understand better how we can engage with those who don't believe, because that's the heart of this book and that's the heart of this podcast. We, as Christians, we want others to know him, and and that's that's the goal. Amen, amen, I, and I love your heart in that. Um, you know, anytime you study something at a deeper level and dive in, I know there's always sometimes things that just surprise us as we investigate topics. I'm curious for you, as you studied this topic and investigated and listened, uh, what was probably the most uh, surprising conclusion that you came to after looking at all this research and, and investigation? Well, I think um, one of the most surprising things was that because, especially coming at it at, as an apologist, and because the 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 pushback against God is often intellectual, one would think that if you know if you just give somebody an intellectual argument or a piece of evidence that you know they'll they'll believe. But we you know we talked at the very beginning that. 
that is just not the case. And that's what this research bore out is that people become open most predominantly because they want to believe that God matters more than, you know, intellectual arguments for God's existence. They want to know that God matters, that there's something good and attractive about Christians, about the Christian walk, about that there's something that provides something that they're missing. It's kind of like Blaise Pascal, you know, make good men wish it were true mm-hmm. and then show them that it is. That's kind of what my research showed. Um, and and it was surprising, but it was also kind of affirming. Um, I, I Another thing I think that I would, I was very surprised by is these believers are not nominal in any sense of the word. They are extremely passionate about their walk, about their witness, about bringing others to Christ. In fact, all of them were involved in some kind of sort of ministry, apologetics. Um, some had pursued advanced degrees, and and a third of them were pursuing ministry or apologetics or teaching in some form or fashion full time. Which that's that was phenomenal to me. They are the some of the strongest and most winsome and enthusiastic followers of Christ that I know. I'm incredibly inspired by this group of people. Um, but I think the last thing that I would say, and if, and I think this could be a real strong encouragement for your audience. And I found this in my research and Joel Furches, Furches found it in his research that the role of the Christian intersecting the life of the believer made a significant difference in the journey of these people. 82% had some kind of intersection with Christians or Christianity in a meaningful way that allowed them to become open um, in their journeying towards Christ. Joel Furches, his numbers were, I think, around 75% or 72%, very close. So, you know, three quarters of of them had some kind of meaningful engagement with a winsome, intelligent uh, Christian that made all the difference. And so if I could say anything is that we need to be engaged in the life of, of those around us And if I could say one more thing, that would be, I think sometimes we write off people as, oh, they'll never come to Christ. But if this study showed me anything, no one is too far or too far gone or from the Father's hand. You know, it's um, the the least person that you would expect to come to Christ. Um, You know, there's room and, Mm -hmm. and they can become the most winsome and passionate um, follower of Christ that that you know, so you you never give up, never give up yeah. on anyone. Absolutely, and and you know that's so encouraging and such a good reminder um, of why we do what we do here at Impact Three Hundred and Sixty. We're equipping students to be able to have those spiritual conversations, whether that's during the summer or during fellows or three initiative when they're on college campuses or during residency when they're here. Um, investing in students and earning a master's degree, they're all learning about how to have spiritual conversations with people. Those, that 82% of intersections with other people and to be praying for people and to care for them and and to share with them the good news and be ready to engage. And, and you know, apologetics, um, a big chunk of that is creating plausibility structures for people, meaning that it's reasonable and gives confidence and courage for believers to have the staying power 
for those conversations that they can absorb even some initial anger or frustration perhaps that 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 they'll have from somebody who doesn't believe but they've got a confidence though no I've investigated this I can I know why this is true and now I'm able to be a good friend or be a good listener and keep praying and care for this person so I love that your research really highlights that because that's that's something that we are deeply passionate about. We don't want to just talk about stuff and talk about what's true here at Impact 360. We really want to help people do it, put it into practice, engage others. Um, and that's that's vital. So I love I love that aspect that you were able to highlight in, in your book. So again, my guest today has been um, Jana Harmon. Um, her book is Atheists Finding God. We'll have links in the show notes. But Jana, what what would be some places that people can find out more about your work or follow what you're doing, and and how can they get connected to that? Um, yes, thanks for asking. I I I am on Facebook, and um, a lot of the work that I do is through the Side B Stories uh, Ministry. Or we are affiliated with C.S. Lewis Institute, so I do work with the C.S. Lewis Institute as well as Side B Stories. And uh, we do have a website, sidebstories.com, if you want to see more of the resources from these former atheist stories that are ongoing. And we're building a resource library there. Uh, but but yeah, so just if I'm speaking somewhere uh, or writing, it's often posted on my Facebook page. So I'm happy to for people to come alongside there and, and just kind of pay attention to, to where I am and what I'm doing. I love that. So we'll have links to all those things. And if you're listening to this and you want somebody to come alongside you and your family and your son or daughter in this process and journey here at Impact360, we'd love to do that, whether that's through our summer experiences of Propel and Immersion or our nine-month gap year fellows or our residency, which is after um, after college. Um, and so whatever that looks like, we want to be a part of helping you. Um, so you can find out more at impact360.org. Uh, sometimes also people want to know how they can help others. And we actually have a legacy student scholarship fund uh, that 100% of that goes to help fellows um, who need to be here, who can't afford to be here, help make a way for that and to get some of this training and equipping to see what God has called them to do. And you can learn more about that at impact360.org. And then you can click give and learn more about that. And again, 100% of that goes directly to those scholarships. And so um, yeah, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I feel like we only scratched the surface, but Jana, thank you so much for joining us today and really doing all of this work um, around this very, very important topic and just really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.